1 Corinthians 16. Uh, let's begin reading uh, in verse number 15, please. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that ye have addicted, excuse me, they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that ye submit yourselves unto such and to every one that helpeth with us and laboreth. I am glad for the coming of Stephanus and for and for Fortunatus and Achaicus, for that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. But they have refreshed, excuse me, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge ye them that are such. The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet ye one another with a holy kiss. I won't spend much time on that verse tonight. But that's not something we typically do. They certainly they did in that culture. Um, the, the salutation of me, Paul, and mine own hand, with mine own hand. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, a maranatha. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Paul had planted this church here at Corinth and and we find that planting of this church and how it all began back in Acts chapter number 18. There we find the recording of Paul's initial work at Corinth. It was at Corinth that Paul first became acquainted with a Jew by the name of Aquila and his wife Priscilla. We see them mentioned here. They were tent makers. They worked together as they uh, served the Lord. Uh, you might call them a bit of, uh, it's hard to say Paul was bivocational. Paul, uh, certainly he was all in. I don't think he was necessarily completely bivocational, but he worked his way through the ministry. There are times when he just needed to do what he needed to do to, to be able to, to feed himself and do what was needed. Um, but he met them, and, and so the Bible tells us that there in the city of Corinth, they were... More than likely, Paul spent, he spent 18 months in Corinth. More than likely, he spent a good portion of that time in the house of uh, Aquila and Priscilla there. They were Jews. These Jews were forced out of Rome. Claudius had become the, the Caesar, and, uh, and as they move against the Jews, he forced them out, and so they were scattered all around. And so they, these landed there in Corinth, and Paul met them there. Acts says that Paul, again, lived in their house for maybe the whole entire time. We're really not sure about that. Paul was joined later on after he had gotten there by Silas and Timothy. And they preached the gospel to the Jews in the synagogues. Acts 18 and 6, the Jews opposed them. Um, They opposed their preaching about Jesus Christ, you know, they opposed the preaching of Christ, and we see that again even still today, don't we? Uh, nothing's much changed in that regard. They were opposing the preaching of Jesus Christ. The Jews mainly did that there as he was preaching in the synagogues. Paul then, because that took place, the Bible says he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. 
I am clean from henceforth. I will go into the Gentiles. So he started his ministry looking, reaching to the Jews there in Corinth. And the Jews had come there because of persecution out of Rome and forced them there. But when, they, when Paul got there, as he was teaching and preaching them, they become, uh, they'd been obstinate to the gospel and not wanting to hear it and persecuting Paul. So Paul says, okay, that's enough. You don't want to hear it anymore? God has called me to be a missionary to the Gentile. From now on, I'm going to reach the Gentile. Now, does it mean that Paul left off preaching to the Jew by any means? Didn't do that. But up until this point in time, he, he focused his ministry in these areas, but then at least in Corinth, he began to broaden that ministry and reaching out to the Gentiles. Uh, as a matter of fact, look with me at Acts chapter 18, verses 7 through 10, and you'll see a little bit of this here. Acts chapter 18, verses 7 through 10. And he said to them, he shook off his garments, and he says, I'm clean, from henceforth I'll go into the Gentiles. Verse number 7, and he departed thence. And entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. There as he's gone out to the, reach the Gentiles, the the Corinthians, many of those who were part of that city, the Gentiles, they were hearing the gospel. They believed it and they were baptized. Then Paul then spake uh, the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. Here we find the church at Corinth. Out of that particular passage, we find the church of Corinth established. The Corinth was a major city in the Roman Empire. It was a very important crossroads for trade and for travel. If you were going to trade or traveling through, it would be a, a much maybe, I, I would think, maybe like Chattanooga is today. If you're going uh, to Atlanta, you're going to go through Chattanooga. You're going to Alabama, you have to go this way. If you're going north to Knoxville, it's kind of a, a hub. And maybe Corinth was just that kind of thing. If you were traveling through or if you were looking to trade, you would oftentimes find yourself here at Corinth. Um, it's an important crossroads for those things. I think it was also a very strategic location for a church plant. Very strategic area for a church plant. Uh, people would come through that area, as I just already mentioned, from other parts. And, and if these people could be reached by the gospel, by this gospel preaching outpost, this church there at Corinth, as people came through, if they could reach them with the gospel, they would hear the gospel, trust Christ, baptize, and then they would carry that same gospel message back home. It's a very strategic area, and I think that's still a good idea for missions today, uh, is to be able to reach those folks in those metropolitan areas so often, and people can come and go and to reach those folks so that you may not be able to go to where they are from, but they can carry the same message that they heard Back to where they have come from. So I think a very strategic area. Um, those who would hear and be saved would carry that message to those other towns and villages. Um, a strategic, I believe, an approach to missions. Not only reaching the city that they were looking to reach there at Corinth. 
But because of that trade and that travel that came through, they had the potential to reach those outside of the city. Acts chapter 16 and 8, you won't need to turn back there, but many of the Corinthians believed and were baptized. They believed and they were baptized. Here I think we see the the priority uh, that we see for salvation. Belief, and then they were baptized. They heard the gospel, they believed, and they were baptized. That's the order uh, that is to take place. It's not baptism first. In order to get saved, they believed, they heard the gospel, they believed, and they went from there. They heard the gospel message, they believed, they trusted in that gospel message, that truth that they heard. Their believing brought about their salvation. Their trusting, it was by faith. That was the means of salvation then, it's still the means of salvation today. The hearing, the preaching, and then the believing, the trusting. Not they heard and they worked to receive, but they heard and they believed to receive. It's a shame that still yet today that many people are still preaching and teaching a works-based salvation. Much of the world would believe that's the way you get to heaven. Much of the world. Uh, But the Bible does not teach that at all. Not even in the slightest manner. It's not a works-based salvation. It's a belief-based salvation. They believed and they received. And after they heard, they believed, they received, then they were baptized. Again, not as a means of salvation, but a step of obedience because they were saved. We know this to be true. Uh, We know this is true because that's the practice that we have here at Lakewood Baptist Church. But we have that practice here because that's what the Bible teaches. And so we reiterate that on a regular basis. Why? Because much of the world's still confused about it. Much of the world still doesn't understand that. So they get it out of order. Uh, the believing was the point of salvation. And the baptizing was the proclamation of the salvation. They believe. They, you believe it's in the heart. And that's where the salvation takes place. From the heart, man believeth. And then that proclamation of now that I am saved. The old man is dead and raised now to walk in newness of life. That public proclamation, that step of obedience. Not to be saved, but because I am saved. One is completed inward from the heart. That's belief. The other is completed outward for all to see. Again, that's obedience. And that's what Paul was doing here. He was winning people to Christ. I believe he was discipling, and he was baptizing and going forward from there. Any church planner will tell you, any of you missionaries here tonight, or any church planner will tell you, you never work hard and and just really go to the task and go to the area where God's called you, and you work hard, in Paul's case, even risk your life to see a church planted, to see people one to Christ, Disciple them, establish that work, and then you are living among the people on a regular basis. You don't do all of that without establishing a deep love for those people. God just puts that love in there. And I, I, I hear some of you missionaries uh, hearken back to the days where, where you were. 
And you know what I hear you say? I hear in your voices, I hear a deep love for those churches that God used you and helped and allowed you to establish. You poured your heart into people. You saw people come to saving faith. And, and your heart is still there in many regards because you talk about it. And that's great. That's wonderful. Um, and I believe Paul was the same way. And Paul poured his heart into these churches. And, and now Paul is gone away from them. But uh, his heart is still there. He still got a great love for the people. He still had a great uh, hunger and a desire to see that work go forward. Uh, no missionary wants to ever plan a church. Um, no church planner ever wants to see a work begin just to see it falter and fail. Nobody would desire that. So there's a longing to see that go forward. And Paul, here at Corinth, he was eventually run out of town by those unbelieving Jews. The ones that were pushed out there, when Paul came preaching Christ, they rose up against him and they eventually ran him out of town. But you can be sure that Paul never lost his love for that church. Never lost it. And particularly those people that he won to Christ. He never lost that. As Paul opened this first letter of 1 Corinthians to them, he said in 1 Corinthians 1 and 4, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Christ Jesus. I thank my God always on your behalf. Just, Lord, thank you again for those good folks. And just, I, I can imagine he's calling out by name those people that he's reached. And maybe you can do that. And just some people that were very uh, sincere with the gospel. And some people that you fell in love with. And you just thankful the Lord for them on a regular basis. Paul had a love for God. He had a love for God's work. And he had a love for God's people. And as time went on, Paul later learned as he had left Corinth, he later learned of some problems that that church was having. So he writes them this letter of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians as well. But we've studied through this one. And he writes this letter to clear up some of the issues that this church was facing. Most likely, these church folks, we, as we studied through, we saw that most likely they had maybe even written to Paul and asked him some of these questions. What about this? And what about that? And, and what, how do we deal with this in, in this situation in the church? And, and so Paul is writing back to them and responding to some of the questions they had. And then some things that had come to him that he had learned that was taking place in the church. If we were to outline 1 Corinthians, it might look something like this or go this way. If we went... All the way back to chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, we just see a simple introduction. And then from chapter 1, verse number 10, to all the way through the book, to chapter 16 and verse number 4. We're, uh, not, we're beyond that tonight, but, but from that point, Paul is dealing with errors. He's dealing with problems within the church. Uh, if you'll remember, he's, he has dealt with unity within the body. He's dealt with morality that they were struggling with, marriage issues, issues on liberty, what can we do, what can't we do, what's right, what's wrong, uh, issues with roles within the church, male and female. Uh, he's dealing with issues such as the Lord's table. We saw that in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 
spiritual gifts. He spends four chapters dealing with these kinds of matters. Um, I like this one in chapter number 15. He deals for 58 verses with the resurrection. I think of all the study that we've done in 1 Corinthians, the entire book, I've enjoyed the resurrection chapter as much as all of them. Learned as much, been encouraged as much. Uh, He deals with, in chapter number 16, verses 1 through 4, he deals with giving. Giving and their stewardship. And then from verses 5 to 24, in this as we finish up the book, Paul ends the letter, you might say he's tying up some loose ends. And he continues, he further gives words of encouragement. Words of exhortation. He's finishing up the letter. Last week, we looked at verses 13 and 14. And notice the exhortation that he gives out of those two verses. Watch ye. Stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. Let all your things be done with charity. Be done with love. He's exhorting them. Now... We've worked on all these issues within the body. Now press on. Now put these things in place. Now continue on in these areas. And have you ever had a hard time saying goodbye to some people sometimes? Not necessarily because of them, but maybe because of you. Just hard to know where to stop. Uh, Maybe Paul found, found it a little bit difficult as he comes to the end of this letter that he's written to him, he finds it a little bit difficult before he ends. He gives a few more words of direction, a few more words of encouragement. Uh, Of course, all of this is inspired writing by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. But he gives some more things for them to consider. And in these last few verses, those that we read tonight, I see, could pick out more, but I just see four aspects Of the church that Paul emphasizes. Four aspects of the church that Paul emphasizes as he closes. These four things, and well I could probably add a fifth one and I'll mention it at the end. These things I believe should be evidenced in every New Testament church. Paul's closing out his letter and he's saying let's make sure of some things. By the way, let's put these things in place. And it's as though he's speaking and he's saying this is just natural. And I think the things that we'll mention that we see out of these verses are just something that ought to be natural things within a New Testament church. First he says, I beseech you brethren, verse number 15. You know the house of Stephanus, that is the first fruits of Achaia. The house of Stephanus, that's the first fruits of Achaia. I, I, I think out of this passage, what we see from the Apostle Paul is this emphasis, this element of soul winning. First fruits. Stephanus, he's a first fruit. You know the house of Stephanus, uh, he, he was the one that was one to Christ. Stephanus and his household, no doubt, were the, some of the first converts there at Corinth. Um, If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, look back there with me very quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 verses 15 and 16. As Paul had begun his letter, some were saying, well I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of this or I'm of that. And 
Paul is dealing with that right out of the gate. And he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest ye should say that I baptized in mine own name. I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. So he says he baptized these. These few people are some of his very first converts there at Corinth. When, when Paul went there and he began teaching the Jew, and maybe when he went to the Gentile, these were the sum of those first Corinthians who heard, believed, and were baptized. First fruits of Achaia. That Achaia there is the region. Corinth was in the region. The Achaia was around that. So it would be in a particular area. It would be like Chattanooga being in the state of Tennessee. So to speak. So these were some of the first fruits. I, I think Paul is really putting an emphasis here on soul winning. Those who have been saved. Stephanos, Stephanos was a part of that first fruits of the harvest. But all of these other Corinthian believers were also part of the harvest. Also came forward and trusted Jesus Christ. Acts 4 and 8. Paul had reasoned with the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and Greeks. When he turned to the Gentiles, many Corinthians believed. In chapter 16 and verse number 9, as Paul is writing this letter to Corinth, He's at Ephesus, and he says, I desire to come to you, but I'm going to tear at Ephesus for a little while. Why? For a great door and effectual is opened up to me. A great door and effectual is opened up. Uh, what was that door that was being opened up? I think it was the door of soul winning. People were being saved. Paul was preaching the gospel. People were hearing it. People were believing it. People were being baptized. What kept Paul in Ephesus? I think it was the fact that people were getting saved. God still had more work for him to do there. More people to hear. Soul winning must be evidenced in every New Testament church. Let me say that again. Soul winning must be that which is evidenced. Part of. In the fabric of every New Testament church. Must be a soul winning church. We have to be a soul winning church. It's not about us, it's about reaching a lost world. Uh, that's why we supply tracks, and that's why we try to do some things to reach out into the community. On the 4th of July, we plan to, and I'm there on order now, we plan to head out back out to Collegedale. There'd be probably, who knows, there may be 10 to I don't know. It's a massive crowd over there in Collegedale around the 4th of July. And two years ago before COVID, we went out and handed out these little, just little, little fans. And this little fan has the, the church name and logo on it. And it's just great, man. When it's 95 degrees outside, 98, would you like a fan? Oh, yes. Please give me one of those. Well, it's a, it's a gospel track on that. And we'll hand these out. And so we'd like to hand out as many as 2,000 of them. Or better. And we'd ask you to come go with us. Uh, we have included, and we're going to change this up just a little bit on the front, but this little track will go with it. Simply says, God loves you. God gave his son for you. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. God wants you to be saved. In a simple gospel, plan of salvation there. And there's a little QR code. Some of you older folks may or may not know what a QR code is. All the younger crowd won't have any problem with that. If you scan your phone on that, it'll take you to our website. And there at Lakewood Baptist Church, you'll see a little page there. 
It's a simple plan of salvation. But what the also that does, and we've added something, and I encourage you to go take a look at it. I think it's very, very well done. An evangelist friend put together what's called the gospel film. And it's about an eight to nine minute little gospel presentation that's as solid and as sound as I think as I've ever seen. And, and it's just another touch to be able to reach somebody with the gospel. And so many people, so many young people particularly, on the fan it will say, um, the answer to life, the life's answers. And so maybe somebody will click on that. Would you pray with us that God will use that? But I'm simply saying that the gospel, salt winning, has to be in the fabric of every New Testament church. It just has to be there. Um, it's what we are to do. We're to obey the Great Commission. Soul winning is the purpose of Christ's first coming. It's the purpose of Christ's first coming. And soul winning is the purpose of Christ's waiting in the second coming. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to He's not long-suffering, he is. Some people would say, well, he's slack. He's not coming. No, God's waiting for people to get saved. So winning is the responsibility that God has given the local church both corporately and the responsibility God's given to every Christian individually. Every single one of us. It's not just for a few, it's for all of us. So soul winning is to be evidenced within the life of a New Testament church. Number next, service is to be evidenced in the life of the New Testament church. We read on in verse number 15, I beseech you brethren, you know the house of Stephanos, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. What's another thing that's needed in the life of a New Testament church? Service is needed. They addicted themselves to ministry. Addicted themselves to ministry. To be addicted is to have an overwhelming desire or habit to do something. Wow. An overwhelming habit or desire to do something. Now what are... What's the overwhelming habit or desire to do here? Ministry. Ministry. This word ministry is the word that we use, our English word, we use deacon. What's a deacon? A servant. Someone that serves others. Uh, In the book of Acts, in the very beginning there, uh, they were deacons that were called out. They were those who waited on tables. But it's literally ministry, serving others. Service is something that's to be evidenced within the local church. The idea of serving is this matter of, in Paul's, this idea of being addicted rather, is Paul saying they're addicted to serving one another. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, excuse me, chapter 6 and verse number 10. Let me read you what the Bible says. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. God will see, and God sees everything that you do. Nothing goes unnoticed with the Lord. It's called ministry. 
Stephanus and his house saw a need for ministry. And when they saw the needs for ministry, what did they do? Did they wait for somebody to ask them or to plead with them? No, they stepped right in there. They were addicted to it. They stepped right in to do the work. They were, I believe this idea of being addicted here is the idea of self-motivated. Self-motivated in the work of the ministry. Are we self-motivated to do ministry? Are we addicted for ministry to others in this regard? I think this is a wonderful picture of what should be evidenced in a New Testament church. One writer said, A man becomes a leader in the New Testament church, not so much by any man-made appointment, but because his life and work, are, they've marked him out as a man who is serving others. That one who is a leader within the, the body of Christ, he's not necessarily there because someone has appointed him to that position, but he rises to that position because that is his characteristic, that is his life. He's simply already serving and ministering to other people. That's what makes him a leader within the church. This idea of serving. And so oftentimes we are looking for the will of God in our lives. And God says, it's right here in front of you. Serve where you are. Pour your heart into where you are. That's the will of God. And as we begin to do that, then God begins to open up other avenues and opportunities for ministry. But... Ministry, serving one another, a life characterized not by how I can be served, but how I can serve others. Evidences are things that are to be evidenced in the New Testament church, soul winning, serving. How about this one out of 16? I got to hurry. Submission. That you submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. This idea of submission. Sometimes I think we think of submission as a losing proposition. If we submit, it's kind of like when we were kids, you know, your buddy, he held you, to the, he held you on the ground and, he, and your arm bent around your back until you hollered, uncle, 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 let me up, let me up. Maybe we think of it that way. But that's not what the Bible means about that at all. Submission. It's to be evidenced in the New Testament church. Submission. I think in a number of ways, but let me just mention submission to spiritual leadership is needed within the local church. Submission to spiritual leadership. Submission to one another. To one another. Ephesians 5 and 6 deals significantly with this area of submission. Submit to one another. Husbands and wives submitting. Husbands to God, wife to the husband. Children to parents, employee to employer, all's dealing with submission. So oftentimes we want to get out from under that. But God says it's to be part of who we are. Submission can, it's an, it's, it's an evidence of living. It's an evidence of living in the filling of the Holy Spirit. Really, that's what it is. Being able and being willing to submit 
to others is evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. On the other side, demanding my rights is just the opposite of that. And if you think about it, everybody, everybody is under the authority of another in some form or fashion. We're always under the authority of another in some form or fashion. And we are to have that willingness to submit to those in authority. And this is a great matter within the church. Just willing to submit. You know, and I believe God uses and raises those to the top. And God uses those particular individuals. I think about church, about a discipleship kind of uh, situation where one is submitting to the teaching and, and the preparing and the helping and the growing of another. And so that one is discipled. And what's the purpose of that discipleship? So that they can turn right around and, and do it again and do it again and do it again. The Corinthian church and these members at Corinth, boy, they really struggled in this area. It was a hard thing for them to be able to submit. Aspects of the evidences of a local New Testament church, soul winning, serving, submission. How about spiritual friendship? Verses 17 and 18. I'm glad of the coming of Stephanus and of Fortunatus and Achaicus for that which was lacking on your part they have supplied. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge ye them that are such. Spiritual friendship. How important is spiritual friends to you? Are spiritual friends to you? Boy, I need friends who help me grow in grace. Don't you? We got enough of this old world that will take to try, try to rob everything from us. Spiritual friendships, they have supplied, they have refreshed my spirit, Paul says. Boy, I need these kinds of friends, and I'm thankful for you. That's the kind of friends that a church has. You know, I think you can sometimes become, as your church family can literally be as a close of a relationship than maybe even our blood kin can be at times. Why? Because of that refreshing, that spiritual refreshment. Spiritual companionship, comforting within the local church. There's accountability there. There's acceptability there. There's counsel there and there's comfort. Evidences are things that I think are seen, need to be seen in the local church. And Paul's saying, put these things, make sure they're in place. And then I'll finish with this one. I'll just mention it. Read the verse. Look at it. Verses 23 and 24. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Look what he says. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. He finishes up the entire book with sincere love. Boy, is that something that's needed within a local church for one another? We're not out to get one another, but we're out to grow together and get the gospel around the world. Amen. So winning, serving, submission. Spiritual friendship, sincere love. Boy, if a church doesn't have these things, the church is really lacking. You know, we all can do better in some of these areas because it's really individually. These were these these are the things that come to play individually in our lives as Christians. Are we addicted to some of these things? If not, let's ask God to. Burden our hearts and help us 
grow, be stronger as a church, be more addicted to the ministry, to love and to serve others and see Christ glorified. Let's bow our hearts together in prayer.